you once worked to get it right. So over here, you were working to get it right, to learn new things, to learn the system, and to get out of dysfunction where everything was going wrong, all the toxicity, all the chaos, crisis, nonsense, minutia, micromatters, all that stuff over here to get to where you could be doing something that matters to God. And so you were working on learning how to get it right. But now when you segue over here into the ultimate, you go to the next level, then you are, as, as a facilitator, as a commander, here was more like let's control the, the situation. And now it's let's command the situation. And now you're looking, you're working on never getting it wrong. Never getting it wrong. Uh, so in other words, that requires uh, a tremendous amount of evaluation on your part. Not regular, not ongoing, but when you do evaluate, to be able to evaluate it well. And what do we evaluate? Well, I said yesterday, we make sure that we're still working the system because the system will be some other system if you're not paying attention. And, we'll, and we'll, I'll illustrate a little bit more. But remember I said this is a dual track. It's a system to get us to the vision, but it's also a discipleship track. So the two things are system and discipleship that you have to monitor because the next time you turn around, the system isn't working like you thought it was working. And I mentioned a couple of illustrations on that the other day. Or the discipleship thing that you think is going on isn't happening. And so we'll, we'll, we'll address that here as we go forward. But it requires priority focus on your part. It requires relentless focus on your part. And that does not mean, you know, all the time. That doesn't mean you're going to spend now all your time laboring over making sure everything's right. No, but you're going to command it. You're going to expect it, and you're going to have to evaluate it from time to time. But you're going to have to check. You can't just move off into ultimate, get out into la-la land somewhere with your visionary entrepreneurial bents, but you're going to have to evaluate. So let me just share some statistics here so you can get a sense for how important this is. A corporation fails every three minutes. A directorship of a corporation changes every 32 seconds. A company changes control every 15 minutes. Remember I told you in the basic training, 80% of ministries fail in five years, within five years, 40% fail in the first year. And if you carry it out to 10 years, there's only 4% of 100 left. 96% failure in 10 years. Now we don't fail. We stagnate. Or we make a spurt and then nobody's evaluating, nobody's relentlessly checking, and we stagnate or we level off, we plateau, and we settle into lethargy as it relates to productivity. So those should be some eye-openers. So we have to have relentless priority focus or ultimate focus. You want to know why so many organizations sink into chaos? Because they don't focus. Why is it so hard to become who they were meant to be? Because they don't focus. They get involved in everything else. They believe once they put things in place, they'll always be in place. Once they're directed, then it's there. They got it. No, they don't. Repetition is the motor of learning. <coughs> Repetition is the motor of evaluation. They lose focus. They wander around in the wilderness of distraction, reaction, busyness, minutia, never reaching the promised land of promises to God. And with compounding increase like this, five last year, five more, five more, compounding increase of responsibility, then it becomes very overwhelming. People become taxed. We, we're deficient in leaders, or we're deficient in competency, or we're deficient in in capacity, 
and we get stuck. And we can't do the things even we're intending to do. Even your, the, one, the, the things that your people are intending to do. Relentless priority focus leads to ministry mastery and greatness. Relentless priority focus ensures achievement today, improvement tomorrow, and powerfully impacts the future. Relentless priority focus. Relentless priority focus comes from relentless, dogged discipline and determination that we're, gonna, we're not going to let this system fail. And I, I can tell you, working with clients all over the world, from uh, the smallest of ministries to the biggest household name ministries, they, they have this same problem. We all have this problem. If you don't if you don't check, if you don't evaluate, if you assume that things are happening, you're going to get into trouble. I'm not talking about you being in meetings every week and every single week and checking. It's not about regularity. It's about the quality of when you do it and how you do it and the intent that you put behind it. Done right, in other words, instead of just done all the time. Just done right. Let's fill in a few more of the blanks here. What I did not complete on the diagram here is we're talking about the system. So along here, your system obviously consists of your mission. Your mission, and that doesn't change. God, when you go to the mountain to be with God, God will tweak it. He will he, lay it at his feet, read it to him. Uh, when in the basic training so, or in some of the forms, we talk about how to go to the mountain, what to take in your mountain backpack when you go. And uh, you can get that information at the interim trainings, like the ones that the Whitfields and, and most of the locations in the U.S. now, we have interim trainings because of the, of the heart of the Whitfields. They started it. And so you can get, the, you can fill in, you can come and ask questions. You can get some of the handouts that they've gotten over the years. Take advantage of it. But the mission won't change, but God, God will tweak it. You lay it at his feet when you go to the mountain and spend three days with him alone. And, and it takes you one day just to calm down and, you know, stop jumping around. And just, and so you can hear his still small voice. And then, then, you know, give him the time to minister to you. And, and, but but uh, what he, what he he'll, he'll, he'll point out your mission. He'll say, it's there, it says in your mission, uh, disciples of men. And then he'll speak to you about, you know, well, it's not what it needs to be. Not if you're going to go where I'm intending you to go. You need more discipled men. Okay, next would be the system. The system. And I told you yesterday, the system, what does that include? Well, it's our methods, our process, our, our procedures, uh, the, the way we work, but it's also our culture and our DNA. And this is our DNA. Jim used that term yesterday a number of times. This is the DNA right here. The unique selling proposition, your brand, your value proposition, that's your DNA. And you certainly don't want to have a multi-site someplace that doesn't have your DNA, just off doing their own thing. You know, no, no different than when you have small groups. You make sure they do what we stand for and, what, and they teach what you believe. So, you, you other, so they have to have your DNA, he said. So that's what this is. It's the first thing on the list here. You got to have that in place. You couldn't go multi. You can't even build a ministry unless you know what this is. And everybody knows what this is. It's the culture. It's the culture, your DNA. And then your value system. And we've got that here, value system. Okay, but then, so you have your mission. Then, you, then the system trumps the vision. But the vision's next. Because without the system, the vision isn't going to happen. Without doing these things, without operating the way we learn in the basic training, you're not going to get the vision accomplished. It's not going to happen. And then we have priorities. These are the priorities every year, the five macro priorities for the ministry. 
the top five. God will tell you what are the top four, five, six that are most important to him. And your job as the CEO, remember, is you never take your eye off of what God told you to do. What God told you to do, yeah, there's needs all over the place, and God, those are important, but that's what the teams work on, meeting people's needs. You have to meet God's needs. And so you never take your eye off of what God wants. I know this is what we do in the basic training, but you can't be ultimate if you don't remember this. You, you have to keep your, more than ever now, you have to keep your focus on what it is God wants. And you heard what God told them he wants, the ones that were up here on the panel. Those aren't some easy little things you can do in a day or two. Those are things that need to be strategically planned. They need to be, we need to be strategically intentional about making those things happen. We need to be strategically innovative and creative to make them happen. And it's going to require a lot of work and a lot of focus on your part. Otherwise, and if you're not focused on what it is, if they're not focused on what they just shared with you, God told them to begin to do, then they'll just be wandering around in the wilderness. So we focus on priorities, God's priorities first and foremost. Then we have goals. We turn those priorities into measurable goals. And then we have, in addition to the goals, we have functioning. And... Just to say it, just to illustrate something quickly, um, you've seen this before, but the, this is execution on this measurement scale, and this is about talent or discipleship here. Or you could say this is about results, and this is about the way we behave. And here, talent, a talent mindset. Now, you have a talent mindset. You've been discipling others. You've been replicating yourself in others. But now, mostly what I'm going to be telling you today are things that you have to make sure they're doing. And they're doing with these. And these are doing it with others. Who, these, are, these are the faithful men doing it with others who are doing it with others. So everything I'm telling you that's important here, I'm going to try to remind myself to say that you need to do this with them. That's the important message here. You, if you, you know these things or you wouldn't be prepared to step into the ultimate. But if you're back here, if you're learning these things and you're learning them for you and beginning to teach them to others. But if you're ready to segue into the ultimate, then <clears throat> it's critical now that you take on the mindset that I, the things I did, the things I learned, the things that were priorities for me, now have to be incused, stamped on, impressed upon these. Here we have four sections. I can't quite define exactly where they go. I, don't, I mean, I don't have time to do that. But this is... This is the discipleship continuum. So it's a system. One track is the system that we have to evaluate, monitor, and make sure they are laboring under. And then it's the discipleship track, like this. And it's broken into component parts. And I just wanna, I wanna illustrate those to you. Discipleship one and discipleship two Discipleship three, discipleship four. What's, what's the difference? Well, discipleship one, we call that discipleship orientation. So we have to orient, orientate people to who we are, what we stand for, all, all of this stuff. USP, brand, value, okay, but there's orientation, and it can, I can't list all these. Let me read this and then list uh, what I've written down here. Accurately represents what God ordained your ministry and its objectives to be from the beginning of time. That's stage one here. What God told you your ministry is to be and its objectives from, that, he, that he planned and created from the beginning of time. 
clearly details what everyone in the ministry will be held accountable to, what they're part of, what they're going to be held. It's in an orientation phase. So you define and convey God's direction to you about what it is he wants you to build for him. And, and, we're, and they're all unique. You're all unique. So this includes things like brand identification, core values, uh, direction uh, uh, of the way we function, uh, expectations of behavior and standards, uh, the cultures, uh, the method systems and processes, the fact that we are a succession plan ministry. In other words, we, and I'll get to that here in a little bit later as, as we scratch down, uh, but where we, we are building future generations of leaders here. That's what, we're, that's what this ministry is. If, if that's what you believe, then that has to be communicated. So those are the things we're communicating here in the orientation phase. Then phase two there, and you'll be able to match these up with the different uh, items on the right side of the line here. But phase two is the discipleship pipeline. It starts. Here's where the discipleship starts. And I'm, I'm doing this because I want you to see that, you know, if you, you need to have a plan or a formula or something strategic here that, so that you can track, are we doing all these things? And where, where along here are we weak? And where do we put, need to put emphasis? And these are the things you're going to ask the tough questions about to your people. And they're going to come and report to you they, honestly, where we stand, where we're, because they're the ones over here now are going to be making this happen, not you anymore. They're going to be, make, but you're going to have to make sure that it's happened. You're the command, the commander. Okay, then phase two is discipleship. Uh, it's it's uh, a <clears throat> discipleship pipeline. So we're beginning the discipleship process. So this, one, this one is discipleship orientation. This is discipleship. I wrote it out. I shouldn't have. Discipleship pipeline here. So we're beginning to get them into the pipeline, the tachometer. They're coming in on the left there. And this, this contains a living and continually changing organizational design corresponding to the God-given mandates that you've been given. And I've taught you in the basic training how to design your organization based on God's mandates, not by the skeleton crew of warm bodies we have, but by God's mandates. Every, every mandate is, has a main part of the mandate, and then it has the subfunctions of the mandate. There are component parts to getting the main thing done, and we need to break it down, and there needs to be a team on each of those component parts so we can work sequentially uh, uh, on this thing instead of, uh, we can work simultaneously on this thing instead of sequentially, one thing at a time. One person has all those component parts, and we work on one component part. When that's done, we work on the other component part. Then we work on the third component part. But if you have your organization and staffed by teams, then you're going to be able to work on all those component parts at the same time. So you just, the, the, that's, how you, that's how you have steady compounding increase. That's how uh, the mega ministry where I served had a five-fold increase in six years. God-given mandates by functions, sub-functions, individual leaders, and team. Rapidly moving individuals into entry-level team placement and leadership training. So this is the onboarding process. We get them into the pipeline, we get them on a team, we give them an orientation, and we get them on board, and we get them going to work, and we begin the learning or discipleship process. Number three is the process, discipleship process that we are now beginning. And, oh, this, this one, I, I said it, I guess, but it, it includes organization and the leadership pipeline. Then number three, discipleship process. The discipleship process is number three on the, on the chart here. And it demands the discipleship transitioning of individuals to cross over into greater levels of contribution and broader leadership impact. So here they've made a decision to get into the pipeline and they start their training. They, they entered the pipeline here, 
and that you design and you continue to refine and perfect over time so you can please improve this number. Years later, I, I come back, Pin Ministry might have me back, and I find this number's hardly changed. And they're working on a lot of things, but the most important thing didn't change. The thing that provides you money and leaders, it didn't change. So we're not keeping God's provision. He's provided. If we're a company, we go out and sell stock when we have a vision. You're an entrepreneur, you go out and have an IPO, you sell, you, you sell stock, raise money to, to be able to do it. Well, in ministry, we can't do that. We, we're counting on God's provision and we're not keeping it. We're squandering his provision of, pe of the people giving to help us build a ministry, do more, have greater impact, and the leaders to lead this stuff. Look how, look how many we need real fast. 25 more here, 225 more. Do the math. So discipleship process demands the discipleship transitioning of individuals to cross over into greater levels of contribution and broader leadership impact. So cross over, what does that mean? It, it means that there are crossover points in every one of our lives, including your volunteers, including your leaders, that are on a team, they have to cross, first they have to cross over to get involved, then they have to cross over to get onto a team, then they have to cross over the Jordan to, get on a to become a team leader, then they have to cross over to take a risk and get on one of your innovation clusters, and then to become a generalist, and then to be stretched. And each, they have to make a decision to cross over like the, the Israelites had to make a decision, are we gonna cross over? No way, there's giants over there. The giants of what? Fear. You know, I could make a mistake. Now I have to meet new people, make new relationships, start over, embarrass myself because I'll have to learn new things and, you know, I'll have, to, I'll have experiences over there. It's safer over here. Just leave me alone. I got this far. I'm happy. I'm content. You know, I said I'd do anything for Christ up to the edge of the Jordan here. That's it. <laughs> So this is as far as we're going right here. And so as leaders, what are we, what's our assignment if we're disciples of men? You got to get them to cross over. Yeah. Hallelujah. Every one of these is a crossover point. So discipleship isn't, you know, you get, you just sit down with a few people that are willing to be taught like you. Teachable spirit. No, we got to work with the unteachable spirits. I know you, I don't have to teach that part. Yeah. And then, so this involves team placement, team facilitator, higher priority team, leadership engine, transitioning generalists, all and stretching, all those things. Then what's uh, discipleship number four? Is discipleship accelerated. Now we're accelerating. Discipleship accelerated. Now look, see, up here, where you're getting them on special projects, special teams. They're, you're compounding them as a generalist, like this. See, we're compounding their capacity and their competence, and they're growing. The, you gave them a stretch and assignment, and they grew this much. And now we're putting them on a whole other team, and we're saying, now, make that happen. And now we've stretched them. We've, been, we've opened their eyes to whole new things, new learning experiences, new challenges. And you, we work with them. We're, look, we're still in partnership with them. Remember, in the basic training, we are down here. The leader and the team are in partnership here for God. Yes, we have a chain of command, but the way we work, we're in partnership. And so you're partnering here for their success and you're stretching them and you're giving them stretch enrichment exercises and you're targeting them for future. So if, they, if they don't get here, you're not going wherever this is. So your job as a leader is to now, and their job, they are, I'm picking on them because they articulated what God told them, they have to look at what God told them, and they have to be thinking today. Even though some of them said, 
we're not going to be doing that for a year or three years. But today, they've got to figure out what do my people need to get from me and what do I have to target them to and aim them toward and stretch them to accomplish, to gain the expertise and the competence and the capacity to handle it when we get there. You can't just, when we get there, oh, geez, you guys, what happened to you? You didn't learn anything. You know, we, no, we target them now. That's, that's, what, that's what you do at this level. And then you, that's what they do with their people. So stretch, stretch enrichment. Um, requires accelerating development to which individuals are stretched, challenged, stretched, challenged, empowered for personal and corporate significance for God, wherein their destiny becomes clear and is being realized. We're supposed to get them to their destiny. We're trying to build a ministry, but we're trying to build individuals to their destiny to be, so that they become, can become all they can be for God. Expose, uh, requires focus, creativity, and attentive evaluation. Stretch enrichment. You're the master discipler and you're pr the protector of the system. The master discipler and the protector of the, dis of the system. The Lord was showing me this too. This illustration. Let's pick up what I started to do here. Let me just illustrate that. Because I've talked to you, how many times have you heard me say we need depth of discipleship, we need depth of competence and capacity, right? So if this is the same line here, uh, and this is the vision, that's where we're headed. This is the steep slope. This is the incline. We're, you're not going to climb a steep slope unless their learning curve is a steep slope. Are, are you hearing me? You're, you're not going to be ultimate if they're not ultimate. You'll be ultimate for a few days. So this is a steep slope of learning. A steep slope like this but it's a steep slope of what God's going to be, what, what they describe to you that God's telling them to do, and they left a number of things out, just in the essence of time. Uh, so here's your ministry climbing the steep slope. And, you know, maybe it looks like that, but here's, here's your ministry. And then every year, it's, and it's like the, the, you know, it's a leadership engine. We got, and every year, God adds five more. Right? Like a freight train now. The weight, look at the added weight. It's harder, harder to get up the steep slope. You got, you got the, the engine here. But, and and we, got, we got this thing going, but now God adds five more and compounds with five more on top of the five. And it's just like I illustrated over there. Compounding responsibility means then we have to have compounding discipleship. Or we're not going to... And how do you do that? Well, you've got to have a weight here. And then it becomes easy. We have a weight over here. Here's the, the pulley. And you put a weight on here. And the weight is what? I just gave you a hint. The weight is discipleship. The weight is plus competence and plus capacity. When you have more people pulling the weight, more people taking on the weight, then you're going to be able to continue to climb. Otherwise, you're not. And if you don't evaluate, this thing goes backwards. And I see it a lot. I see it, I just told you yesterday or day before that one ministry said to me recently, you know, we used to be excellent and now we've slipped right back to average. And it, it's, it's, not even, it's not even that these have fallen backwards, but we haven't continued to build leaders, get, gain more leaders, build more leaders, and when God adds one more, they can't handle the weight. 
And one of the biggest problems in ministry, I'll just put it up here, one of the biggest problems that you will encounter as you make this shift, and you've been, you've been chugging along here for years, uh, and you've poured yourself into your team. So here, here's you, and you poured into your A-team here, and you poured into them, and then you, and you've told them, this is what I expect. Everything that I've taught you, everything that I've done with you, the way I've done it, the mistakes I've taught you, the successes, the tools, the system, everything I've poured into you, you pour into your team. And you do it so well that they can then pour it into their teams, the Timothy process. And so you assume, you know, I told them, that's what I expect. So you assume that that's happening. And it may be happening to some degree, but what happens is the gap, so here's, they're supposed to have their team here under them, but no, the gap is, their team is way down here in terms of competence and capacity. And I see that all the time. I, 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 wouldn't even, I don't even have to go anymore to a client. I can just tell them, you know, check this. So, it has to do with how effectively you facilitate, how relentless a facilitator you are. The facilitation I've told you in the basic training comes from the STEM word facile. It means to make easy, easily achieved or performed requiring little effort. So your job is to make it as easy for them to cross over the Jordan, as easy for them to be able to, you coach them. When you see something wrong, you blow the whistle and you tell them, you know, we've, we're, this, these are the areas that we're missing it. When I looked up facilitation, uh, it said facilitate to make easier or more convenient or more opportunistic. Well, that's what we're doing here. We're trying to create op optimization for God. There's an, in this, right there next to, right, the words right next to facilitation were facilis de sensus averno. I don't know what language that is, Latin. And it says, easy is the descent into hell. <laughs> so, you know, this can be easy, but it can go easy up or easy down. Yeah. And then facility. Facility is a building to make an action or an operation easier. That's why we have a roof over our heads and we have equipment in here to make it easier for people to build and to function. But ease of performance or action, a ready skill, freedom from impediment. You're looking for the impediments to be the facilitator. Easy for people to fulfill their talents. Easy for people to reach their destiny. Okay, now, I was, uh, I met a gentleman uh, actually is from the Ukraine. He's a missionary in the Ukraine. He and his, his uh, bride are here. They came a long distance to, and God, we're gonna believe God's gonna reward their pursuit, all of your pursuits. Uh, but I think they were maybe the, I don't know if that's further than Zambia. I don't know about that, Haley, but. Um, now, there, there, there need, there would, logically be or naturally be a certain amount of concern on your part about, you know, whether, you know, how this is going to work and whether this really will work for me. And that sounds really good theoretically, but does it work? Well, you know, it does, it works because we've got enough proof in the pudding in the room here. And I can tell you from my experience and all the five-fold increase in six years uh, in a mega ministry. But whether does, does it really work? I mean, the guy got me excited about this new role and everything, but probably at night when he got back and started reflecting, you know, will it really work? Well, I, I just want to share some things with you. And, and a couple of these analogies come from uh, my naval experience and, uh, and some things that, I, that I've uh, read or gleaned from uh, naval officers. But, uh, you know, do you know the difference between, a, so I, I told this uh, gentleman from the Ukraine, I said, I'm going to be telling some sea stories, you know, up here this morning. And uh, the, do you know the difference between a sea story and a fairy tale? A fairy tale starts out once upon a time. A sea story starts out, now this is the truth. 
no blank. No fooling. The Christian version of that joke. But there's uh, a captain by the name of Michael Abrashoff. And he was the commander of the USS Benfield. And this may give you some encouragement. And he was the captain of a guided missile destroyer. Uh, they, it was in 1970, he, it was 1977, it was commissioned for duty for, in the Pacific Fleet in 1996, 1996. The ship was a beautiful fighting machine, 8,600 tons of armor protecting the Navy's most advanced arsenal of computerized missiles, the Aegis, Aegis, Aegis ballistic guided missile. We didn't have those, that's why I don't know how to pronounce it. A radar system that can track a bird-sized object 50 miles away. A highly skilled crew of 310 men and women and four gas turbine engines that are capable of driving that size ship, 8,600 tons, 35 knots, or 30 knots or 35 miles an hour. I mean, when that thing does a bank turn, it's impressive. It gets a rooster tail. And, but the problem was that, th so, so here's the point I want to make. That looked like a seemingly successful ship, right? Yeah. Big. I'm comparing this to ministry. Seemingly successful ministries. Well, it's big. Wow, it's, that's really impressive, man. Look at the size of that thing. And boy, and the, the, I mean, the superstructure on that, on that ship, on that church. That's, but they are seemingly successful. They are, they are really successful, seemingly. But in this se seemingly successful ship, like many ministries, it looked impressive, but they were lacking something. And in this case, it was discipleship. They didn't call it that training and development, the right kind of discipleship on this ship. So when this captain took over, he described the, the crew as sullen, poorly trained, not one person on the ship, not one of the enlisted men, because the, the rest were career officers or, enlist, uh, or men, but not one wanting to re-enlist. Not one. Well, that's pretty fired up crew, that'd be like not one person wanting to go any further with you. Faring poorly in battle, read, battle readiness testing. In other words, they go out and do firing practices and they, you know, have uh, bogus enemies coming in and attacking and they, you know, have to fight uh, simulated battles. And they did poorly. They barely passed battle readiness testing. He described it as not nearly prepared, as prepared we should have been for an attack. And they're in the Persian Gulf. So this was one of the worst ships in the Navy. Not by the way it looked, but by the way it functioned. And so, the whole thing turned around. And I want to try to cut this short, but, uh, to, but simply to make my point. In seven months, seven months from that point, this, this captain took over. And in seven months, they won the trophy for the most ready ship in the Navy. In seven months. Most combat ready ship in the fleet. They had the all-time highest gunnery score, 104.5 out of 105. 28% of re-enlistment from zip to 28% in seven months. The crew got fired up. A training cycle that usually took 52 days, so they'd go out to sea and they'd go through all the regimen and all the, all the batteries of testing that they had to go through to maintain their, their readiness. And they, it took on average 52 days. They completed it in 22 days and came back to port. 19 days, 
they, they, and they had, then they had time, more time, 19, I'm sorry, it was, 20, it was 19 days. So they became a company, what he, as he described it, a ship of collaborators. That's why we work on teams. Teams are the foundational building unit in any effective ministry. So if you're going to build, you've got to have teams as deep as possible. A company of collaborators flourishing in a spirit of relaxed discipline, creativity, honor, and pride. And how did he do it? Risk tolerance. Risk tolerance. He gave everybody an opportunity to contribute. He gave everybody an opportunity to take ownership of the ship. He said, it's your ship. It's your ship. I'm just the command. I'm just the commander. That's, that's what we have to create here. It's, you're the commander. It's your ship. And so he, he, had, he put in place the, 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 the crew's morale went from the lowest in the fleet to what I just described. The, the, uh, he delegated, he empowered, he encouraged thinking and problem solving. And he stopped doing it for them. They were coming to him with all the decisions. Captain, you know, how do you want this moved over to that side of the ship? And, you know, no. That's what they do to you. That's what they did to you, hopefully. And you knew people. You're going to get out of that real fast. But he had a risk tolerance, and essentially it, it's, it was this. You, you make a decision. Here's the parameters. You, I want you guys to make the decisions. And if you make the wrong decision, but you've put all your, you applied all your skill and all your intellect, and you really took, in other words, they, had, they, they, they ended up with a noble failure because they were really committed to the ship. He said, here's the parameters. Don't sink the ship, or don't damage the ship. We don't damage the ship. We don't defy Navy regulations, so we stick to the system. And we don't kill any crew members. <laughs> but beyond that, make some decisions. Well, they took ownership. They, they took pride in the ship. It was a huge breakthrough for him. Not only that, but the ideas that they came up with somewhere in here, and I don't have time, I don't think, but somewhere in here, one of, the, one of the enlisted men, they were in the Gulf, and the communication methodology they were using compared to the technology that was available was lagging. And he, he figured out a way to do it much better. And, he, and, he, and because he now had motivation and ownership, he said, hey, let me figure this thing out. And, the, and the, he gave it to his captain. Listen to this. He gave it to his captain. The captain sent it to his superior. And the superior said, no, thanks, we, we don't need that. And the captain went around his superior and sent it to his superior's superior, the head of the whole operation over there, the guy said, this is genius. And, and he said, I couldn't understand the mentality of my boss. He, wouldn't, he, he couldn't accept the idea because it was like a, it ran against his pride. And he, and he said, and, and I had the same problem with my officers until I told him, you're going to have the same problem with me. He said, I had to tell my officers, look, we welcome their decisions. We welcome their ideas. Don't overcome the pride because they didn't listen. They didn't listen to him. Oh, well, you're, the, you're just the enlisted. You're the subordinate. It's amazing how far off the mark people can get without good leadership. The, the, yeah, the officers were almost trained not to listen to the crew. Almost like that's disrespectful to somebody to offer me an idea or a better way to do things. And you know, they even had the ability to communicate with their captain. They, one time, one of the gunnery guys said, Captain, because when you were at the helm, the, we didn't do the maneuver exactly the way it's supposed to be done, and it caused us all sorts of problems in our firing against the target, sir. <laughs> yeah. That would, but that was the kind of environment that they had, and that's what we learn in, the, in this process, that your team can be honest with you. Otherwise, this is just a, a charade. It's a game. I want to I go to the next Navy thing here. Um, 
it has to do with the principle of ballast. If you're going to go higher and become ultimate, you're going to elevate your position, not your pride, but your position. We're going to elevate your position so that you're operating in the more macro responsibilities and the things that matter to God. Macro matters for God. You're going to go higher. They're going to move up the pipeline. They're going to go higher. We can easily become top-heavy. We become top-heavy. And, and in, another, another principle. I, I, was, I served on um, the Mount McKinley. It was an AGC. It was an uh, um, amphibious group command ship. And it had the admiral on there and then the uh, general, the, the marine general. And uh, that's where MacArthur, command, on that ship, he commanded the Inchon invasion. Uh, and um, we, were, we, that we were on that ship when we were going to invade Cuba uh, to dismantle, to get rid of those nuclear missiles that would have knocked out half the cities in the southern part of the United States in 1962. So we were the invasion force into Cuba. But I was on the, and I, I don't know if I can draw the Mount McKinley very effectively here, but uh, we had a, uh, a helicopter pad here on the back for the, for the helicopter, and then we had a huge superstructure here because we could communicate anywhere in the world with, from this ship. So it had all this kind of communication stuff on there, very advanced, and then, but, and here was the water line, and then down here is the keel, and you know, Here's the prop, or the prop's underwater, you don't go anywhere, yeah. Uh, I, I probably could have, you know, fooled you army guys, but that guy back there from... Okay, so we got the prop down here, yeah. But, but the higher the superstructure went, the deeper the ballast had to be. And so that's the weight here, for example. It's the, it's, the, it's the depth of discipleship. It's the depth of competence. That, and I, I know we learn from visuals. So, you know, I want, I want you to see this. But the, the, this is, when you elevate your position, you have to have deeper ballast. The only way that this ship could stay from, keep from capsizing is to have depth here. The, all the iron, all the lead in the keel here to, to counterbalance the weight of what we had up here to communicate anywhere in the world. So the general and the admiral could speak to Washington no matter where we were or NATO or any place in the world at that time. And that was way back in the 60s. So was, that was pretty impressive. And so we, had, so we had, had to have depth. We had to have depth to be able to operate this thing. I'll never forget, we, were, we, we had such a system in, in, in established. I mean, military is a system. And they, that's, that's what keeps order and discipline. That's allows, what allows them to achieve what they do. And so we had a system on, our, on aboard our ship. And it, it, for as simple a thing as I was the officer of the deck one day, and I don't know, we were in close to the Bosphorus. We were actually uh, uh, photographing and uh, tracking some Soviet ships coming out of the Bosphorus. And uh, we were, and it was uh, over in that that part of the Mediterranean. And um, I was a, I was the officer of the deck, and uh, all of a sudden we get the command uh, that the call that somebody went overboard. And so immediately, I mean, you're trained. You every single watch. Let's talk about repetition, being the motor of learning, and rep, flawless. Uh, or a relentless focus, repetition, repetition. So this guy went overboard and we went, we went, I went right into the Williamson turn. And so I, I don't remember what it was anymore. That was a long time ago, that was at least 50 years. So I, about that, 50. Yeah, and, but you turn first immediately so that the prop doesn't hit the guy that fell overboard. In the event that he fell overboard on the bow, you know, then he'd be going down along the side of the ship and he gets sucked into the props. So you'd immediately turn 
to swing the tail end around so he hopefully could live. And then you do a, it's so pre-calculated that you make the turn and you come to a certain point and you'll come right back to the point where he fell overboard and you'll get him. You'll pick him up if you do it right. So we have a system to do that. And we did, catch, we did this one guy, oh my gosh, this one guy, uh, he didn't follow the system. He wasn't following the methods, the procedures, you know. He worked down here in the, in the galley, in the, in the mess hall. He was actually in, uh, uh, not my division, in officer school, but in the division next to me. He flunked out. He rolled out, went to Great Lakes, and became a seaman. But and it was pretty evident at why when, when I heard about this situation. Um, he, was, he was working in the galley, and he, one of his details was to clean the garbage cans, you know, after mess. And so you're supposed to take them up someplace and hose them out and scrub them down, you know, and clean them, get all the bacteria out of there and everything, and then, you know, so we can use them for the next meal, okay? He had an idea, though. He noticed there was a pulley up here under the flight deck, and he thought, you know, the e much easier if I just take the garbage can, tie a rope to it, and then, you know, I'll just, and he wrapped the rope around his hand like this, and he let it out and let the thing down, and we were going about 20 knots, and it hit the water, a garbage pail like this, and he went zoom right up there. He hit the, he hit the bottom part of the flight deck, and he went overboard. Yeah. Some guy. <laughs> Broke his hand, cracked his skull. We did rescue him. He was half unconscious laying in the water. It's a wonder he didn't go down. Somebody said, <laughs> Somebody said, if that guy is so dumb that if you put his brain in the navel of a gnat, it would rattle around like a BB in a boxcar. <laughs> so, you'll remember that story. You'll remember that story when you'll need to remember that you have, your people have to follow procedures. Follow the system. And if you, if you, if you, you can't assume that they're following the system, okay?